Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. On this episode of Celeb Savant, I'll be speaking to Sheila Cecilia Escovado, better known under the stage name Sheila E. She began her career in the mid-1970s as a percussionist and singer for the George Duke Band. After leaving the group in 1983, Sheila began a successful solo career, starting with a critically acclaimed debut album, which included the career-defining song, The Glamorous Life. She became a mainstream solo star in 1985, following the success of the singles Bell of St. Mark, Sister Fate, and A Love Bazaar. With the last becoming one of her signature songs, she's commonly referred to as the Queen of Percussion. So this is Celeb Svant speaking to the outstanding and brilliant Miss Sheila E. Sheila, how are you? Where do we find you in the world? What's happening in your life? Oh, my God. That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm so blessed. Thank you. Uh, excited to be able to be t- talking with you. Um, and uh, I am in Los Angeles right now at my home, getting ready to record uh, in the studio as soon as we're done with this interview. Can you tease us with what you're recording? Is it going to be a surprise or something new or a collaboration? Uh, it's kind of a co-collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, the song is already written. Uh, uh, an amazing uh, producer, Stanley, uh, in the gospel realm, is okay. doing a project with uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. And so this song that he's doing, I'm playing on it. And... Um, we're just going to make it sound even better, I hope, if I can. I'm sure <laughs> you will. Drums, <laughs> drums and percussion. And yeah, so I think it's going to be on the next project coming out. Oh, amazing. So just so you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to your collaboration with Leanne Rimes and Mickey Guyton, The Wild. What yeah. a brilliant collaboration and song. How did that all come about? Um, I had done some work with Leanne before on a previous project she's done. And um, I got the call to come in the studio, and uh, I, I, it's so long ago that we did that, but I think uh, she had a majority of the idea, and we just started playing, and uh, it became what it was. I mean, but, you know, she's a great songwriter. I was just glad to be a part of it. Going from prison music to going all the way back to the beginning with Sheila E's story. I know it's, that's like a three hour uh, podcast and interview. <laughs> so a hybrid version of the Sheila E journey. Um, I started when I was young. My dad, Pete Escovito, who still performs, um, legendary Latin jazz artist. My dad, my uncles played. Um, we have a lot of family members who played, but I started by watching my dad play early on. He would practice to, LPs back then, which mm-hmm. now they're popular again. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, he practiced to LPs every day to the artists that he loved and admired. And then sometimes we'll have jam sessions in the house. And then, uh, once in a while, uh, he would have his entire band rehearsing in the middle of the living room. So there was music around the house all the time. And, um, it's not like we watched a lot of television. It was mainly just music in the house and then radio. Born and raised in Oakland, California and radio back then 
and the Bay Area was pretty awesome because it was very eclectic. So you would play, you know, uh, Grateful Dead and then Sly and the Family Stone, James Brown, Stevie Wonder, uh, Creedence Clearwater. Like it was just a plethora of great music. And then a lot of these artists were from the Bay Area. So being able to listen to that music, learning a lot, um, um, music wise, my jazz, my dad being a Latin jazz artist, he brought the foundation of who I am, Latin jazz artist and, and then um, expanded our musical palette with uh, wanting me, suggesting for me to learn how to play violin at the age of nine. Oh, so wow. I know I did and played violin for five years. I actually loved it, loved classical music and still do and um, scholarships to play violin. But my main first main instrument was congas and uh, kind of self-taught by watching my dad play and and then before you know it, at 15, I was playing, well, 14, I was playing with a local band. And then 15 years old, my dad's other percussion player got sick and I ended up, you know, begging him to let me play. I performed that show and um, that was when my life turned around musically. I knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing, even though uh, growing up, I was going to be, I, I was an athlete, so I was going to win a gold medal in the Olympics. I was training to be in the Olympics. Oh, wow. Uh, track and field. Yeah. So I broke a lot of records in track and field, and um, I just knew I was going to win a gold medal. But instead, uh, God said, oh, I think you're a musician. <laughs> so I ended up getting gold albums instead of a gold medal. But it's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Now, what attracted you to the percussion? Um, I know you were watching all the whole band play, you know, because generally I don't like to stereotype and all this kind of nonsense, you know, back in those days, you know, females don't play drums, you know, you know, it's that whole stigma about male, female. So what attracted you to them? And was there any backlash because they called to you? Oh, for sure. So again, because of my dad, mm -hmm. I picked up the percussion, um, you know, he had it basically sitting in the living room so you could walk by, use it as a coffee table or play it, you know. <laughs> and after, after watching him play, I would try to mimic what he was playing. So being around it, you kind of, you know, being a young kid, you're, you're like a sponge and you just absorb everything that you're hearing and listening to and watching. And, um, like I said, I loved playing, uh, music and I yeah. ended up, uh, you know, just jamming a little bit and playing here and there. And, and the backlash was a little strange because in the Bay Area, a lot of people jammed together. It was like, I feel like we almost had the drum, first drum circles, like not from other villages where they yeah. really do that, but, you know, mixing people and uh, different ethnicities yeah. together in Oakland and in the park in Berkeley, you know, where people protested all the time in both cities. And uh, we always came together and playing drums. And there were a lot of women playing like hand percussion, shakeres and uh, uh, djembes and things like that. So it almost looked normal. They weren't playing as professional. People just wanted to play and have a great time. Up until I left home and started um, recording with other artists outside of the Bay Area, did I realize that there were hardly any uh, percussion women percussionists who were women and the only person i ever saw on television was um karen carpenter and oh her yes brother. of course yes yeah and i, she, I yeah. was amazed i was like oh my god she has a television show with her brother i can do that you know um 
But there was also a young lady, her name was Bobby Hall, I think. I think at the time she was playing with Bob Dylan. I'd heard about her, but I'd never seen her play. I never saw her perform in person or anything like that. But again, the backlash was, you know, I I would walk into a room and... Uh, especially at the very beginning, um, the drummer had turned around. I walked into the room where my congas were in percussion mm-hmm. and he turned around. And he said, Oh, hi. He said, can you give me a cup of coffee? Like, <laughs> no. Huh? I'm aware. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I said, uh, yeah, I, I'm not the s- assistant or secretary. <laughs> I wouldn't mind getting the coffee, but I'm here to play. And he says, what do you play? I said, I play percussion. You're the percussion player, you know, things like that. And then. Some of the, I mean, you're just here because of who you know and you're not going to yeah. last or, and then the sexual, uh, I guess advancing to, hey, you know, here's the key to my room, blah, blah, blah. You can have this, but I'll get you a record deal. And that's all the <sighs> other stuff. And it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think back in those days, I mean, I might be, can't stand to be corrected, but may, women were mainly the secretaries. They, they were assistants. They, they were so diminished in their roles. And it's, it's great that we as a world society have been able to allow a section of the community to stand up and be seen beyond that. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, my mom went to work and my dad played, you know, in clubs at night and they tried to do what they could. It was, it's not an easy mm-hmm. profession to say the least, especially even for men. Um, and at the time being a percussion player, I, my dad tells me later that's why he wanted me to play violin because he said, I don't want you to struggle as a percussionist as I have most of my life. And so if you play violin, you can play in the symphony and the orchestra. You could probably, um, you know, score a movie or you know, whatever. He just thought that being a different kind of musician would be better for me than a percussion player. But again, I didn't even realize that that's what I wanted to do until later. Sheila, tell us about your creative process in a sense when you're creating your own music, you know, your own solo stuff compared to when you're collaborating with other artists. The process is always different. Mm -hmm. Like even during this interview, if there's something that you might have said or a memory that I might think of while we're talking because we're talking about, you know, back in the day or whatever, I'll write something down. So it could start with a conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't always start with a drum beat. <laughs> uh, sometimes it does, but not all the time. I could be in the shower. I could, I could drive in a car and, and, and when the blinker comes on, I'm always playing to the blinker in the car. So I start <laughs> playing beats on the steering wheel and I'm like, Oh, this is a good beat. Maybe. And then I start singing the melody. You just never know. It happens wherever. So the process like that, or I'll write down a story of something that I want to speak about lyrically. And then sometimes I'll hum a melody, um, and kind of come up with an idea, but I prefer collaboration more so than anything because just being influenced by someone else's ideas and yeah. their suggestions and their, I would never think of. And I get so excited about that. You know, it's just really cool to be able to collaborate with people. That's more so the process, but everyone works differently. Like mm-hmm. um, the biggest thing that I can say, especially anyone listening now that wanting to be a musician or you're in that position and this is what you want it to be your profession. It's very important to, 
establish the rules in which you want to work. Because when you walk into a room, um, technically it, it used to be whoever wrote the lyrics and wrote the melody is the songwriter and the music is just like the arrangement, not necessarily the, uh, you would get paid or be a part of writing the song. Yeah. But so many things have changed now. You can come in as a DJ with a loop and you get half the song. I mean, there's so many writers on songs now. So, um, establish how you would like to work, uh, and find the right people to work with. Because for a long time, a lot of people were, when you walk into a room and you're supposed to write together, people argue about, Oh, I wrote these two words. Well, I get this percentage. You know, I wrote the bridge. Oh, well, I wrote the most important part, the chorus, you know, and people argue. So when I walk into a room, if there's going to be two of us, I know for sure whatever whoever writes what we're just splitting it in half if there's three it's thirds if there's four it's a quarter so and then later on we might add other people then we know then i have to speak with everyone it's going to be a little bit less because they what they put on here and you know the the arrangements is different but it's more so that they have rewritten this whole section so establish those things because then if you do that and take care of business in the very beginning Mm -hmm. it's really cool because then you can just go ahead and have fun and be free because everyone knows what it is. You write it down on a piece of paper if you want. Everyone sign it, take a picture of it, you know, email it to each other, whatever. So you have some kind of documentation of this is what it started like at, on this day. Yeah. And if you establish that, then you'll have a lot of fun. Because you're creating boundaries in a sense and you're creating yourself in a powerful force by being seen as a, co- a contributor because – Sometimes if you're not writing the lyrics, as you said in the past, that rest of people think, ah, oh, they're not so important means, ah, we don't really need to listen to them. But if you all come together and say, this is us as a team, all voices united, and it's just divided in that way, it makes sense. Yeah, correct. Yes. But I can imagine how many times it wasn't discussed in the beginning. It must have happened thousands of times. And at the end result of that song or the album, there's just breakdowns of friendships, relationships, and communications because nothing was said in the beginning. Constantly, yeah, that was the the thing that you would hear about all the time. Constantly, and people fighting to get their part. Then they have to hire an attorney. And then, you know, the money that goes out when if you establish at the very beginning what it's going to be, then you don't have to go through that hassle. But, yeah, man, I mean, so many of us, in, including me, have learned that lesson early on. Yeah. You've collaborated with many artists over the years. Tell us about some of these collaborations. Obviously, Prince being a key figure in the 80s, Phil Collins is so, the names I was looking at your Wikipedia uh, page earlier. And I was astounded. I was like, wow, you worked with so many people. Tell us about those collaborations and how did they begin or just the journey of the collaboration? The journey of the collaborations began with, you know, first of all, starting with my dad and playing in his band and learning, Mm -hmm. you know, how the process, how they worked and even co-writing songs with each other and figuring it out, you know, Um, and then moving on to uh, because we first met Billy Cobham. He produced my dad and I's first record when I was still in my teens and we did two records together, but but by way of. Working with Billy Cobham, I met George Duke and from George Duke, like I learned so much. He just allowed me to grow as a musician, as mm-hmm. an artist 
and his process of songwriting, which I loved again because he did everything. He wrote gospel, jazz, funk. Uh, he loved Brazilian music. Brazilian music was like one of his favorites, the blues, whatever. He could play anything. So he's very versatile. And in playing shows with him, you know, I learned so much. And actually to be able to co-write with George Duke on one song was just, uh, I mean, that was a dream come true. And and then ending up meeting so many artists. So when you go out on the tours and there's like, you know, three to five different artists performing on that same bill. Yeah. Um, you meet George Benson and at the time Ashford and Simpson and all these other people that were people that you listened to and looked up to. And um, and you build you build a relationship, a friendship that is long lasting. Um, and that starts with trying to do the right thing and being honest with people and being on time is so important. Yeah. And that's why a lot of the people from when I first started, most of them are still my friends. Um, because my dad told me to be on time, be respectful. You know, I went through a process where that wasn't me and I learned, you know, you put your hand in the fire and you go out that burns. <laughs> I went, I went through that process, but, um, what a journey it has been thus far. And I'm still learning every day, still learning how to do things differently and better. Uh, but that's how those relationships and those collaborations start because then you, you play with other people and then someone else hears about you and they, mm -hmm. uh, they recommend you. Like the first time I, um, met this gentleman, he was a road manager for Marvin Gaye and he was watching me perform with my dad. Uh, my dad's band and he came up to me and he said hey I work with an artist he wants you to go out on tour with him and I was like oh cool I said where do I go to audition he said you don't even have to audition <laughs> he said you he just wants you to play you know and uh he'll be out for five months I'm like huh and it was actually Marvin Gaye wow. in 1982 and so to be able to ask to play with Marvin Gaye not even audition again these are the things that happen when you put in the work mm -hmm. and you, you try to, uh, you know, be a, a good steward as far as being a good musician and also being on time and being respectful. Uh, word of mouth goes around and, and that helps you. Yeah. Nice. And it can, if you don't aspire to what you just mentioned, you know, being respectful, being on time and so forth, it can have the word of mouth still goes around. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So it's about showing up, being there, being present, and just being in the moment and being doing your passion. Yes, absolutely. When music first came out, as you mentioned earlier, LPs are making comeback and so CDs. But it was, you know, back in the day, vinyl. Then it was like cassettes and CDs. And now today, people are consuming music on the digital platforms. Like I already mentioned, the physical forms are making a comeback. What are your thoughts around the digital world and how the consumers are listening to music currently? Well, it's definitely different. Um, the downfall of streaming period is that it's unfortunate that we just don't really get paid. We don't mm -hmm. get paid. How do we, how do we survive as artists <clears throat> and, um, be able to make a living when one stream is less than a half a penny, a half a cent. Like it's, it's money that doesn't even exist. You can't, it's half of a half of a penny. What does that mean? That I can't even get the 99 cents, you know, or, you know, we, when iTunes came out yeah. and, um, 
you could buy yourself for 99 cents or for a dollar 29 at this point, but we would get maybe a quarter from that, uh, depending on your royalty rate. Um, so it's very challenging for, to stream your song and you don't even make a half of penny. It's, it's ridiculous. So I, I, you know, you have to stream a million times to make yeah. like a thousand dollars. That's insane. It should be closer to a half a million dollars, mm-hmm. not one thousand dollars. So it, to me, uh, someone had said to me, it's just like going up to you and saying, Hey, uh, Sheila, can I borrow the keys to your car? And you give them the keys to the car and they never come back. It's stealing. <laughs> it's basically stealing. It's, I, you know, it's, I still buy my CDs. I love my CDs. I love taking that booklet out. I love the holding of it. And, you know, there's an energy exchange between myself and the artist, you know, through that payment and through that reciprocal of that joy of holding that thing. And I'm finding that with the digital platforms, the energy and work and, you know, the creativity you guys are putting into that beautiful end product. It's just getting washed away into waves of nothingness because there's not that energy exchange between yourself and the person consuming it as a thank you. Does it make sense what I'm trying to say? Oh, no, absolutely. I feel the same way. I mean, and that's the good thing that vinyl is coming back, but it's really challenging. Like we wanted, I went to uh, Washington, D.C. to talk to uh talk to people on on the hill and um and to fight for our rights for performance rights and for credits you know being put so that people know who's on who's performing on mm-hmm. these songs you know um and a lot of them that make this happen and and even doing so it's like we're still fighting and for a long time I refused to have Spotify or any platform play my songs. I mm-hmm. didn't want them to stream. I, I just thought this is ridiculous. And I fought it for a long time. And then, um, you know, every, you get different, I guess, meanings of why you should and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I still don't really appreciate it. However, now I'm, I subscribed to like Amazon or because I'm on Amazon, uh, Prime, but you know, getting Amazon music and I once in a while go on Spotify, but I try to stream um, when I do play music. The people that I know are not getting as many streams just to help them. Like yeah. It's it's a, it's a catch-22, but mm-hmm. I don't appreciate that, that this is like one of the businesses, the entities in the world that because of music, it br- music brings people together no matter what ethnicity. Yeah. We're all, everyone during the pandemic went to music that it helped them to get through, and we hardly get paid for it. It's just not fair. And the thing is that, you know, the streaming platforms rely on you guys for their content. If you guys weren't doing that content, they wouldn't have a platform. So it's just bizarre to me that they think that uh, your your creative process, your energy, your everything is worth, what did you say? Half a penny. (laughs) He's like, crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was the guy from Spotify, maybe. I don't know which one, which one, but he made like a billion dollars and... And we're sitting here, we can't mm. even get paid. I mean, a service that started playing our music and we don't get paid is insane. It's so backwards. <sighs> you know? And I actually, but, I actually see on the billboard, um, you know, the, uh, subscribe to the billboard magazines and that. And I see that the music industry has improved by 25% over the last, 
here in the last decades, but yet you guys aren't receiving any of that. So there's definitely Correct. some sort of problem that needs to be resolved. And hopefully we mm. bring it out there that it will be sorted. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what is your experience or have you been to South Africa at all? I have. And, uh, but it was about, Oh man, I don't know, maybe seven years ago at least. Okay. Might be longer. But it was my first time in, in I have a great bucket list and, and South Africa was one of the places that I wanted to go. And I think it was for a festival we, we performed there. We didn't stay long, like, you know, I don't I don't even think we were there barely three days and we had to come back. I'm like, oh, wow. ah So I wanna go back, I wanna visit, I wanna go on a safari, I wanna visit the people, I wanna I think we flew into Johannesburg, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I want to, I want to go into the villages. I want to meet the people and I want to jam. I actually ended up jamming because there were, there was a drum circle and, uh, people were playing and you, you see a lot of women playing in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so I went over and, and I kind of asked, can I play? And they looked at me like, huh? So <laughs> I started jamming and they're like, woo. <laughs> and then I started dancing and we started playing. It was really awesome, but I definitely want to go and experience it like a lot of my friends go. And, um, yeah, I, I still have to come back. The food so, was amazing. Oh my God. Oh, wow. So putting it out there when you come back, whether it's just for a holiday or for, um, performing, uh, we can go for coffee. I can take you on safari. We can hang out. If you've, if you've got time, <laughs> just put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> so now, Sheila, I'm going to be putting you on the spot. Top of mind, no thought, your top five favorite songs or top five songs by other artists. That's not fair. <laughs> I know. I love this game. <laughs> yeah. It's not fair because it depends on what mood I'm in that I love. Okay. So the newest one that I love, this is crazy, but the newest one is... Um, gospel artist Ty Tribbett in his mm-hmm. song Get Up is amazing. That's number one right now because I'm listening to that one and it's, I'm wearing that one out. Like <laughs> I wake up in the morning like, get up. Do, uh, do. I mean, it's like, yeah. Um, so yeah, Ty Tribbett, Get Up. Uh, let's see. What did I listen to again? Um, I, I listen to a lot of salsa music. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just, just depends. Uh, uh, let's see. I listened to TLC the other day, Waterfalls, just so, I mean, I'm just bringing up, I just yeah. think Waterfalls is a great song. Mm-hmm. Um, anything by Stevie Wonder, anything by <laughs> Earth, Wind and Fire. Okay. Uh, they they have a gazillion hits and I love all of their music. Um, so I, I think you've got one more then. Okay. Um, I, well, I have to say my dad because he's, he has a new record out. Oh, and my brother Juan, he has a new record out. So both of their records, I'll give them two. Wow. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Sheila, the podcast is listened to throughout the world, obviously South Africa as a final message to the listeners. What would you like to say? I like to say, I love you very much. If no one has told you in a very long time that you are loved. I just want to say that I love you. Um, some people have been isolated. There's a lot going on. And through love, we can change things that are happening mm-hmm. in, in, in the world. And, um, it's just amazing, uh, 
how through these platforms we can reach just even one person, just mm. to bless one person every single day is so important. So that the most important thing through this interview is that you get that you are loved and you are enough and God has made you so great and so amazing. And I just thank you for allowing me to use this platform. Just say that to you. And that's it. And you can drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a beautiful ending from the brilliant Mishile Ida Sislev Savant. Sunny out.